The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. How are we doing today? I saw earlier this week that we are entering that season called Hollow Thanksmas. Um, who's ready for Christmas? Is anyone ready for Christmas? Just You're the sane ones. Um, that's me. Um, I usually do not get excited about Christmas until about December 23rd, um, where I listen to about two days worth of Christmas music, and then I'm done. But I know some of you crazy people listen to it all the time, um, and I can't do that. So blessings to you. Uh, Christmas was a really big deal in my house growing up. Um, in October, uh, we would get the, Se- the Sears and the J.C. Penny catalogs. Anybody remember the Sears and J.C. Penny catalog? Yeah, we would get those, and my sister and my brother and I, we would frantically pour through uh, the J.C. Penny and the Sears catalogs, and we would be circling things with different colored ink, so our parents knew uh, who wanted uh, certain things. We would make lists out of them, and then on Christmas Eve, we'd go to First Presbyterian Church, which is the church I grew up in for our Christmas Eve service. Uh, Every once in a while, our family would, would get to light one of, the, one, of the, one of the candles from the Advent wreath, because that was part of, our, part of our church tradition. And then when the service was over, we would drive around Peachtree City, uh, Georgia, that's the town I grew up in, and we would look at all of the Christmas lights and all the big houses and stuff like that. Eventually, we would go home, we'd set out milk and cookies for Santa Claus, and we would set out carrots for the reindeer, and then we would go to bed. And then when we would get up in the morning, we had to wait till all of our siblings got up before our parents would wake up. And my dad would always go downstairs first, and then we make sure Santa was gone, of course. So then we would go downstairs, and we would see the you know milk spilled on the table, the half-eaten cookies. We'd open the front door, and the chewed-up carrots would all be strewn around our uh, our front sidewalk. And then it was and then it was present opening time, and. In our house now with our, our family, our tradition is kind of everyone opens, like I open a present and then someone else opens a present. You kind of do it very orderly. But the house I grew up in, there was no order to it. It was anarchy. It was, one, it was just open up whatever you want to. Um, but we couldn't play with any of them until everyone had opened all of their presents, which is a good idea when it's un- anarchy because you lose toys, you lose parts and all of the stuff. Well, then we had to wait. Uh, sometimes we have to wait for our parents to put the toys together. I remember one year I got a, a smash-up derby. Another year in 1979, actually Christmas 1979, I got the Kenner Millennium Falcon, uh, which I was really excited about. I have a picture of that. I didn't bring it because I didn't want to embarrass myself. Um, but the frustrating part was, was waiting for those presents to be put together by my parents. Had to wait and watch as they, as they assembled it and kind of wanted to jump in, but I wasn't allowed to do that. And I think sometimes the Bible, reading the Bible in particular, can feel a lot like that. Over the past six weeks, we've, we've been talking about the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, and Paul's kind of been, been building something. He's been constructing an argument. He's been, he's been talking about what the gospel of Jesus Christ is and why it matters. And each week we've, we've given you some homework. We talked about having a meal with people. We talked about praying Bible prayers. Um, 
a lot of times when we read things like we've been reading over the past few weeks, it can really feel like we're watching someone build something and we're waiting to get to play with it. We're waiting to, to see what, practically speaking, what does it really mean for us? We're waiting, we're waiting to do something um, with that. Well, we're at that point. We're halfway through Ephesians. And this is the thing that I want you to realize, know, and accept today. And this is in your bulletin. And it's simply this. God has equipped you, God has equipped you to participate in his kingdom, and he wants you to do it in community. God has equipped you. He's equipped every believer. He's equipped every believer to participate in God's kingdom. And the way to best participate in God's kingdom is to do it in community of other believers. So, so today we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 16. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk about that. Therefore, so we've done this every week. Because of everything I have just told you, because of the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, because of what God's done for you in terms of bringing life to you, in terms of uniting you with Christ and putting you in relationship with other people, God's not done with you. That's not all God has for you, is for you to be united relationally in him and united relationally with other people. God actually has a mission, a purpose, a project for every single one of our lives as Christians. It's not just about being in right relationship with God. It's not that that's not important, but it's not just about, okay, I'm square with Jesus now and everything's fine. And then I'm square with other people and everything's fine. No, there's something more to that. There's a life that Jesus wants you to live. Therefore, I, Paul, or therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, Beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies, so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. 
He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So here's what, here's what Paul is doing in this text. He's saying that God is starting with me and he's starting with you. Because of the gospel, because you have been saved by God, because of that, live a life that's worthy of your calling. Let it impact you. Let it change the way you live your life. Because you've been saved. You were once dead. When you were out of relationship with Christ, you were dead spiritually. And now, as Christians, we're alive. So live. Be alive. He's not saying act like you're saved. He's not saying act like a Christian. He's saying be a Christian. <clears throat> Christian life isn't about what we do. Christian life isn't about what we do. It's about who we are. So who is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian according to this text? If we, if we only had this text, then we don't. But if we only had this text... What does it mean for me or for you if you're united in Christ? What does that mean for you to be a Christian? Well, a Christian is humble. That's what Paul says. Humble people serve others and they consider others better than themselves. Humble people consider everyone better than themselves. Everyone else. If I'm going to be humble, if I'm going to be a, a, a consistent follower of Christ, I'm going to consider every other person better than myself. And servants don't get to, don't get to pick and choose how they serve. When we're humble, we consider other people better than ourselves. Well, how do we know if this is us? How do we know if we are the humble person that Paul is talking about here? I saw this recently. If you want to know how servant-hearted you are, pay attention to how you act when someone treats you like a servant. See, that's the measurement of a servant. That's the measurement of humility. If you think you're humble and you think you're a servant, well, how do you act when someone treats you like one? How do you act when someone just bosses you around and tells you what to do? How does a servant respond in that moment. I would say if you're always going around telling everyone how humble and submissive you are, you're probably not. Our measurement, one measurement for the maturity of a Christian is that we are to be humble. Here's the second one. A Christian is gentle. And this is all from the text. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again today. One of the reasons why we ask you to read along with us is we, we want you to see that we're not making any of these things up. Like you should, you should be able to follow along in your Bible and see how, how this sermon came about because it's just from Scripture. So a Christian's gentle. And interestingly, I don't do this very often, but the Greek word that's used for gentle indicates an animal that has been domesticated, a wild animal that has been domesticated over time. And I think that's really kind of fascinating. I just read a book called Baker's Hawk. It was written 50s or 60s, I think. Um, and it's in part about a boy who domesticates a wild hawk. It's a fascinating, um, it's a fascinating book. Christian's gentle. Christian is someone who was wild and has been domesticated. 
Gentle people aren't interested in power and control, and they don't put what they want ahead of other people. That's what it means to be gentle. A Christian's patient. Patience means we accept our circumstances, and we are long-suffering in the midst of them. See, Christians, when we're patient, we, we recognize that not everyone has attained our own level of spiritual maturity. Not everyone is, is as spiritually mature as we are. So when we know that and we come across people who are less spiritually mature than we are, and they say and do strange things, we're patient with them. We're gentle with them. We're humble with them. And because we haven't attained all of these things, there are going to be times where we are not the most spiritually mature person in the room. And what we desire is patience from other people in the midst of that. Christians also, according to this text in Ephesians 4, Christians make allowance for the faults of others. They deal with others graciously. How do you respond when someone makes a mistake around you? Are you harsh? Are you unkind? See, these aren't the marks of people who are, who are becoming more and more Christ-like. We want to make allowance for the faults of others. We want to recognize that people are going to make mistakes around us. People aren't going to know as much as we do. We want to allow for that. These four things, humility and gentleness, patience and making allowances, I, I really think they could be summed up in one word, and that word is love. And what did Jesus say in John thirteen thirty five? He said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And we've talked about that before. Like the way we are together as a body is, is an image and is a representation of Jesus to the entire world. People that have no idea about who Christ is. They, they look into this space. They look into the church. And they are observing the way that the church is with one another. They're observing the way that we are as Christians with one another. And the way that we treat one another. They're observing the way that we treat people in the world. We are reflections of Christ, not only as individuals, but we are reflections of Christ as a church body. People are getting what they know about God from us. That's a tremendous responsibility. It's a tremendous opportunity for us to act like Jesus. And this, this unity, the way that we come together as a body, requires effort on our part. A wild animal isn't domesticated overnight. And a person who goes from spiritual death to spiritual life doesn't happen overnight as well. They don't become mature in a moment. See, the Christian life is hard. And for those of us, for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, we know that the Christian life is hard. There's nothing easy about it. God's calling us to die to ourselves and to our old ways. He's calling us to die to our selfishness. He's calling us to die to our pride and our arrogance. And these things have to go away for our own sake. Because people are watching us. 
Unity within the church depends on every single person who's a follower of Christ. The way we are unified or not unified is dependent on us as believers. This isn't only something that other people do. This is something that I'm called to do, is to be unifying. <clears throat> and as Christians, when, when, we, when we slander and we gossip about one another, we're slandering and gossiping about the church. There are people who, there are, people who are paying attention to us And when we slander and gossip about one another and slander and gossip about the church, we're really slandering and gossiping about Jesus. Because he's the head of our church. There is nothing that will will kill a church faster than disunity within the body. Than disharmony within the body. And it doesn't honor God. I want to encourage us to, to consider our own unity as a church body? How is who I am in Christ affecting the way I interact with my brothers and sisters? This doesn't mean that everyone has to be best friends or get together and watch the Nebraska game together. Like, that is not, that is not the things that we are to be unified around. One of the things I love about Paul is he tells us what we are to be unified around. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all who's over all, in all, and living through all. See, those are the most important things. And there are, there are a whole bunch of other things that we could, we could categorize underneath them. And some of those things are really, really, really important for us as Christians. But those things that Paul lists here, that's the list. That's the list that our unity needs to be around. And if we focus on the things that he is calling us to be unified around, not only as as this particular church, but as all of the churches in Scottsbluff County, if we can be united around just these five things, can you imagine what would take place in our community? And see, that doesn't happen. The churches in Scottsbluff are fractured for a number of reasons. And we are, we're missing such an opportunity to share the gospel with people who need it. And what they do is they look into all of the churches and everyone is building their own kingdom. And why would they want to be a part of that? Why would, why would anyone... Why would... Why would anyone want to be a part of my kingdom? Some of you know me really well, and you're like, I don't want to be a part of that kingdom. Why would anyone want to be a part of the kingdom of John Mulholland? We have have settled in Scott's Bluff, King. We've settled for small kingdoms. And there's a larger one that we are called to be unified around. There's a larger one that we're called to be participants of. So, it depends on us. We can be united around Christ and we can be unique. God has given, it says this in the text, God has given each Christian, each individual believer, a special gift. He's not given us the same gift. 
At one point I wrote above that section, God is after unity, not uniformity. God is after unity, not uniformity. Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, The human body is many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body, so it is with the body of Christ. See, each one of us as Christians, as people who have been united with Christ, we've each been given a special gift that is just for us, for the body. It's my gift, and it's your gift, and it's a unique gift. And we don't judge our worthiness based on comparing our giftedness to other people. We don't express jealousy for the giftedness of others. None of us as Christians should be saying, oh, I only wish I could talk like that, or sing like that, or teach like that, or serve communion like that, or greet like that. Like, that's not the way this works. We should not be expressing jealousy because we don't have a certain gift that someone else has. And we certainly don't minimize our own gifts in light of someone else's. And lastly, we don't elevate our gifts over others. We don't say, I have, the teacher, I have the gift of teaching, so I have the better gift. I'm better than the person serving communion. That's not Christ-like. There are no unimportant gifts in the body. Paul continued, he said this, God has put each part just where he wants it to be. That verse has been running around in my head for the last four to six weeks. God has put each part just where he wants it to be. And here's, here's what he means by that. Here's what Paul is saying. This particular church body, Westway Christian Church, has literally every single thing we need because of the people God has called to be here. We have everything we need. I want you to let the implication of that text sink into your brain for a minute if you're a Christian. As a church, according to this text, we have everything we need here. I've never been in an elders meeting or a pastor's meeting or a church leadership meeting where somebody said, gee, if we only had an Enneagram 4 show up, we would really be doing well as a church. If we only had someone show up who on the Myers-Briggs test scored this, 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 and this, then we'd really be able to reach our community for Jesus. I think there are two things you need to know about these gifts They're for God's plan and God's glory. They're not for you. The gifts that God has given you, they belong to the church body. They belong to this particular body. If we go back to Christmas 1979, and I I open up that Millennium Falcon, unwrap it, and let's say I just leave it in the box. I I don't untape it. I don't open it up. And I set it aside, and I save it. What cost twenty nine ninety nine in nineteen seventy nine? Mint in the box because I had to look this up, and you can't find these, by the way. These don't exist. Mint in the box, Millennium Falcon, Kenner, nineteen seventy nine, worth three thousand dollars. And you can't find them new in the box. Do you know why? Because everybody played with them. Everybody took them out, and they opened them. Before I got my Millennium Falcon, I used a shoebox as my Millennium Falcon as a kid. 
some unused things increase in value. Do you know what the value of an unused spiritual gift is? Nothing. It has no value. Because it's not being used. So, so when, we, when we have a spiritual gift and we don't use it, we don't use the thing that we are called to use. We neglect and we hurt the church body. By not using your gifts, by not using my gifts, I'm hurting the body of Christ. I'm hurting this particular body. And because I'm hurting this body, I'm hurting every other church in Scott's Bluff. I'm hurting the church, capital C, in Scott's Bluff. We were talking a little bit about this on Wednesday, and I was, I was sharing with, um, with Mike and Joe and Shane a little bit about this message. And we were talking about the Millennium Falcon, and Mike said something like, well, yeah, that's because you ripped it open and you just played the heck out of it. See, that's what, that's what God wants us to do with our spiritual gifts. He wants to recognize and own our spiritual gifts, and he wants us to use them. The plastic Millennium Falcon was meant to be played with. My spiritual gifts and your spiritual gifts are meant to be used. And here's the second thing about spiritual gifts. And I had a student point this out on his midterm to me a few weeks ago. I teach a class down at Summit. And the student said that the gifts God has given to each one of us are meant to help us resolve organizational issues. So the gifts that God has given us are meant to help us resolve organizational issues. So a few weeks ago, we had eight kids in our nursery. And our max in our nursery is 11. We have a missions team that's doing new things. And a greeting team and a coffee team who are doing all sorts of things. And, and many of you last week went, on, went online and, and shared a review about Westway Christian Church on Google and on Facebook, and it was wonderful. If you haven't done that yet, I want you to do that again. I want you to share with people about what's happening in our church body, and they're going to come. I believe that they're going to come. They're going to want to be a part of what God's doing. And he has, he has given us everything we need. So we don't need 40 more people to come into our church and then we can staff our nursery. We have, we have people in this room. We have people in this room that can serve in that way. That can serve as greeters. That can serve in these different things. God has given all of us time, treasure, and talents to serve. And it's time. It's time to open the box and it's time to play. But God doesn't just give gifts to individuals. He gives them to, church, to the church body. He gives them leaders and teachers and pastors and apostles and ministry team leaders. And we talked all about this last week. And I would encourage you, if you missed last week's sermon, you should go back and, go back and listen to it. And we have all kinds of people in our church body who are serving because God has equipped them to do that. God's given us two kinds of gifts as a church. He's given us individual gifts, and those gifts belong to the body. They're not, they're yours, but they're not for you. 
They're not for you. They're for us. And the second one is leaders to the church. Why? Why did God give us these gifts? What does he want, what does he want us to do with them? What's, what's the point of all of this? Well, he says it in the text. He says that it's unity. The purpose of all of these gifts, of, of my gifts as an individual and your gifts as an individual, and the gifts of leadership in, in unifying the church, in bringing the uh, church body together and equipping them to serve, it's unity, and it's unity that leads to maturity. Maturity in God's kingdom looks like a group of people who are united and who are measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ as one body. So what does a mature Christian look like? Well, a mature Christian isn't immature. They're not a child. A few weeks ago, I found this video from a pastor named Francis Chan, and I just want to share it with you this morning. There's this passage in uh, Hebrews. Does this look weird? Well, so does this. When people come in and this is the only time they eat. Okay, this looks weird. I should not be drinking out of a baby bottle, right? That's the same thing. Paul says in Hebrews, he says, for though, well, the writer of Hebrews, which I think is Paul, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in a a word of righteousness since he's a child. Paul says some of you should have been teachers by now. Come here, suck on this bottle. Let me feed you. And for some of you, this is the only time you eat all week long. You don't even know how to pick up this book and feed yourself. That's what we're trying to do is get you to memorize some verses. Get in this book. So many of you have never even read this book. You come here and go, well, I'd rather come and have Peter feed me. And I'm just telling you, that's weird. That looks really weird for him to stand here every week. Come on up, come on up. And then you complain going, you didn't feed me enough. And Paul says, are you kidding me? Is this really going on? Is this really going on? You should have been a teacher and you're up there complaining that he didn't give you the little baba for long enough. You didn't feed me enough, pastor. I've heard this my whole life. You come in, you're like, well, I didn't get enough from the worship. I didn't get enough from the sermon. He didn't feed me enough. Wah, wah. And they're like, oh, your sermon wasn't good enough. It's like, no, you know why you're unhappy? It's your fault. It's you, you suck. You do, you come and you suck out of this bottle every week and you suck all the life out of me and it's still not enough and you start sucking from everyone else. Have you ever considered the reason why you're not happy is because you suck? You do, you suck the life out of people. That's the reason why your marriage sucks is because you suck. You don't have enough. God says in Jeremiah 2, he goes, don't you understand? I'm a spring of living water. 
but you're going and you're trying to dig these cisterns and trying to get life from all of these other people and it doesn't hold water, but I'm a spring of living water. That's why David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't suck. I shall not suck. I don't want from other people. He was, in fact, I've got this cup and it's like spilling over onto everyone around me. Why? Because I'm so fulfilled in this. Look, other people are never going to give you the life you expect. Some of you suck as parents. You're not fulfilled in Christ, so you, want, you need something from your kids. Some of you guys suck as children. That you, don't, you haven't found your own relationship with God, so you demand so much from your parents. And so what happens when we are empty people? We start trying to leech from other people. And this is what causes the divorces. This is what causes all the broken families. And then everyone comes in the church wanting something for themselves. And then we end up with a church that sucks. Right? Rather than a church that's overflowing with life. I'm thankful to be in a church that doesn't suck. An immature church is only immature because of the immature Christians in it. And a maturing church, a church that is mature, happens when people mature. When we as individuals, when we begin to mature, when we lead these lives worthy of our calling that Paul is calling us to, when we act upon this faith that we have, when we decide that we are going to live for Christ. We mature. So the mature Christian isn't immature. The mature Christian also isn't tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. I see this all the time on Facebook. There's a, somebody says something about that sounds remotely religious Somewhat spiritual, but in no way, shape, or form does it have any foundation in those five things that Paul says we should be unified around, and we just, and we just go with it. We just post it. We just say it. I want to tell you something. Just because something is on the bestseller list in the Christian bookstore doesn't mean it's theologically sound. I want that to challenge you. How would you know? How would you know if what you're reading is theologically sound? It's one of the things he talked about in that video. It's like this is our lens. This is why we talk about this book all the time on Sunday mornings. Because the more I'm familiar with this, the more I'm, I'm in line and connected with the truth of God's word. When I see something that's, that's false or I see something that's, that doesn't sound right, I can know it because I know this. Because I can compare it. Here, we don't, we don't change our theologies just because our culture says that we should. And that doesn't mean that we don't consider new things. It just means that we, we want to be discerning of them. And as Christians, we want to discern. 
I would encourage you, just because something's on the bestseller list in the Christian bookstore, just don't go out and grab it. Spend time in this book. The mature Christian also isn't influenced when people try to trick them with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. I think it's time for us also as Christians to know where we're getting our advice from. Who we're getting our advice from. Are we discerning in who we hear advice from? I have someone in my life who, who constantly, constantly used to ask me all kinds of questions about technology. They would ask me about what kind of computer they should get. They would ask me about what kind of phone they would get. And then they wouldn't listen to anything I say. Anyone have a, have a friend like have a friend like that? Anyone have that friend? You tell them what they should do and they completely ignore you? Well, then when they do the opposite of what you tell them, who has to go clean the mess? You do, right? You have to go pick it up after them. Eventually, I stopped answering this person because I, what I recognized was this person really didn't want my advice. They wanted my affirmation. They wanted me to tell them what they already were going to do was okay. And as a pastor... I get this all the time from people. People ask me about their finances. So I meet with them or one of our other pastors meet with them and we sit down and we say, okay, so, so let's do this budget together. Well, you know what? That's hard work, right? Who wants to do a budget? I don't want to do a budget. I don't want anybody seeing my money. I just want my finances to be better, right? I just want to be out of debt. I don't want to do a budget. I just want to be out of debt. Where do you get your advice from? Is it good advice? Who should we as Christians talk to? Well, we should start by being in prayer. That would be, that would be a good start, would be starting with prayer. But then we want to start with mature believers in the body of Christ. People who have who've been there and done that. People that we can trust And that only happens when we know other people. That will only happen when you know other people, when you trust other people. You have to have a relationship with someone in order to trust them, and you have to trust them in order to have a relationship. So I would encourage you to think about who who you're getting your advice from. It's probably not the person in the cubicle next to you at work that might not, they might not be the best person. I have all of these conversations and yeah, I'm I'm soapboxing a little bit right now. I have all these conversations with Christians. I think I should divorce my husband. I think I should divorce my wife. And I talked to all my friends at work and that's what they told me I should do because then I'll be happy. Okay. Well, tell me about your friends. Well, none of them are, none of them are Christians. None of them go to church. Okay. Maybe we should start there. Maybe we should evaluate who are the people that we are in relationship with and the advice that they give us. Because people try to give us really lousy advice all the time, and it sounds really good. Because don't we all want to be happy? Don't we think God wants us to be happy? Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God wants us to be holy. And that's really hard. The mature Christian speaks the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, the head of the church. 
speaking the truth in love. That is the marker of a mature Christian. And that's what Francis Chan did in that brief clip that we watched. And that's why some of you were really offended by it. Because he spoke the truth in love. He told us what we needed to hear, and the truth hurts. If you're struggling in your finances, one of the best things you could ever do is come to our finance class on a Sunday morning. It's one of the best things you could do. If you're struggling in your marriage, we have a class that meets in there, in the fireside room on Sunday mornings. We're doing these things because, because we want to speak the truth in love to you. We want to be in relationship with you. Parents, as, as Christians, it's your role to raise your children in the faith. It's your job to disciple your own kids. And I'm telling you this because I love you. And I'm telling you the truth. It's your job to disciple your own kids. A few weeks ago, we had a family life workshop, and and Janie Scanlon said something at the end of the family life workshop that I've heard at every single family training, parent training event I've ever done. This is what Janie said. I wish this was around 30 years ago. I, I hear that all the time. Every single parent training event I've ever done. Someone who is an older parent says that exact same thing. And here's the thing. We're going to host more of these, and 30 years from now, there are going to be some people in this room who are in this room right now, 30 years from now, that are like, oh man, I I wish I would have gone to that. I wish I would have done that thing. I wish someone would have told me that it was my job to parent my children. I'm telling you this because I love you and I care about you. And, and Jesus died for you. And we have an opportunity every day to live according to the calling that we have in Christ. We have a choice that we have to make. And speaking the truth in love brings unity to our body because all of us use our gifts for the benefit of one another. So I'm not just using my gift for me. I'm using my gift for you. And you are using your gift for one another. And you are using your gift for me. And in this way, we all become unified. And here's the last thing that Paul says. When mature Christians do their own special work, others grow. We all become healthy and grow and we're full of love. God is equipping you. God is giving you everything that you need and has given you everything that you need to participate in his kingdom. He's done it. He's, he's done this thing. And this will often be fun for us as Christians. This will often be a great joy. But there are other times where it's not going to be so much fun because we're going to be entering into the hardships and the realities of other people. And when we enter into those situations and those circumstances, it's not always fun. Here's here's your homework for today. To paraphrase Francis Chan, if all you're doing is sucking, start serving. Start serving. And maybe you don't know what that one thing is that you're supposed to serve in. I think that's possible, and it's probably pretty likely. 
but start serving. Each week, people leave their bulletins all over this room. And I know we have people who take care of that on a Sunday morning. But how hard would it be for for someone who's currently not serving in any way here at Westway Christian Church to just walk through this auditorium and collect all the bulletins? When you go into the bathroom and there's water on the counter, if your first thought is someone should take care of that, here's a hint, that person's you. Unless the plumbing is broken and you need to go find Jim Miller, the person to wipe off the counter in the bathroom is you. So that's what it means to serve the body. And that's pretty humble. And no one likes to be told how to serve, right? And if we think that that is beneath us, that that's, that's a job for somebody else to do, then maybe we're not as far along in our journey as we think that we are. I would encourage you to serve this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together as a body and be united around you. God, for those of us who are united with your son, Jesus, in relationship, have spiritual life, I pray that we would live that life. We would lead a life worthy of our calling. For those of us who are, who are coming to life, it's neat to be able to see that transition in people, see people who are coming to life. God, help them to see the glory that awaits them of what real relationship with you and real relationship with others can look like. It's in your sons and we pray. Amen.